Welcome to the Sideline Podcast. Today is Monday, December 21st, and this will be a safe space for all who feel cheated by the College Football Playoff Committee. My name is Justin Berger, and I am joined by Doug Watley and Alec Kieser. Gentlemen, we're going to jump right into some college football. I'm going to run through the recaps of the championship games, then we'll move into kind of a roundtable discussion about all the shit that's happened in the last couple of days. Uh, first, obviously, game of the weekend, Alabama, Florida, an instant classic in Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz Dome. No one gave Florida much of a chance. Uh, they really had a poor first half, in my opinion, um, but lost by six, covered. Kyle Trask was more than capable, 400 yards, three touchdowns. But uh, after watching this game, this basically locked up Mac Jones as the Heisman winner, throwing for 418 yards and five touchdowns, one interception. Najee Harris also had an unbelievable day, but I think it's going to be a little too late for him. Um, But Devontae Smith, some people have him rocketing up the boards. He had 15 catches, 184 yards and two touchdowns. I don't see him winning the Heisman, but he did do a lot, maybe enough to finish second ahead of Kyle Trask, but uh, we will see. Alabama, people expected them to win. They did win, but Florida performed admirably, in my opinion, for a team that had little to no defense um, all year. Next up in the important games, ACC Championship, Clemson, Notre Dame. I'm interested to get you guys' thoughts after after I'm done rolling through these games, but uh, this was this happened exactly as I thought it would. Clemson was healthy, Trevor Lawrence played, and Notre Dame stood no chance. Trevor lit it up, throwing for over 300 yards, two touchdowns, had a pick as well. Ian Book and the Notre Dame offense just couldn't get moving against a healthy Clemson defense. Clemson ran for over 210 yards. It was just it was it was a clinical kind of throwback Clemson Tigers effort this week against Notre Dame. Notre Dame, I guess, over the season did enough in the committee's eyes to stay in that four seed, and that's what happened. So two ACC teams this year um, for the Atlantic Coastal Conference, which I'm sure they're happy about, and Notre Dame can put their put their hat on that mantle for the one season they've been in the ACC. Uh, Big Ten Championship, Ohio State, rightly or wrongly played in this game against Northwestern. It was all Northwestern in the first half. Their defense really showed up, played the way they have all year uh, down or up 10 to six at halftime. Justin Fields, man, I I feel bad for whatever team gets stuck with him because he's still probably going to get taken with as the second quarterback overall in the draft. But that stock, I don't know if there's been a player this year whose stock has gone down more than Justin Fields throwing for just a hundred yards and two interceptions, not really able to move the ball that much on the ground as well, but he didn't have to because of Trey Sermon who ran for over 300 yards. We, we kind of saw this happening with Northwestern over the year, just not enough offense, um, obviously holding Ohio state to 22 points, even though they were limited with 20 players out due to COVID um, is an impressive task, but, Peyton Ramsey and the Wildcat offense just couldn't put up enough on the offensive side to outlast Ohio State. So Ohio State's in at the three seed. And importantly as well, um, the Big 12 championship at Jerry World, Oklahoma beat Iowa State. Uh, Iowa State, obviously, we all know now is the 10th uh, team or seed, not seed, uh, 10th ranked team in the country. 
uh, jumping IU by one, even though they have three losses, one to a group of five team and one to a four and six Kansas State, uh, or excuse me, uh, three loss Oklahoma State. But uh, the committee thought those losses were more valuable, I guess. Uh, but Oklahoma did enough to get themselves into the – they're in the Cotton Bowl um, against Florida, which is going to be an electric game. I got some thoughts on Oklahoma once we, uh, once we move into our roundtable. Also, Cincinnati won this weekend. Um, we'll get to them as well. And in the championship that no one cares about in the Pac-12, Oregon beat USC – ultimately ending USC season because they opted out of their bowl game and Oregon automatic bid to the Fiesta Bowl. So with that, let's get into our discussion. We're going to break down the rankings, gentlemen. It is great to talk to you, but thoughts on the championship games first, Keys. Uh, yeah, a couple of things. One, Devontae Smith, like you covered, is right now the Heisman favorite at minus 180, but I think you're right. I think they're going to give it to Mac Jones. Um, love to see Devontae Smith win that, but um, we'll see. Uh, Notre Dame, we'll talk about in a little bit and, and you know, what the best situation for them could be. And But, I mean, that game, by all accounts, was an absolute disaster. Um, the Big Ten, if you're Ohio State, why would you ever do anything besides run the ball with the team they have? Um, like Justin, Every time Justin Fields throws the ball, his, I feel like his draft stock goes down, or at least in my eyes. But he still might be the number two overall pick in the draft, which might go to my Jets, which, which we'll talk about even later. And I, it was a rough weekend for me. Um, Hold that big, thought, yeah. Um, big 12, Oklahoma, yeah, I don't know. The, the rest of those games kind of went the way we thought it was going to go. We'll, we'll talk about Iowa State in a second and, um, you know, how, how their resume looked and how Cincinnati got screwed. But, yeah, it was a good weekend. Uh, Florida and Alabama a lot closer than people thought it was. And, um, yeah, Notre Dame stinks. I want to start with Florida and Alabama because for Alabama side, this is the first time that their starters played in the fourth quarter since I think Ole Miss probably the Ole Miss game yeah three or four so they've been out every single fourth quarter so in a sense obviously they wish there was a blowout so you know they can get some rest but it's kind of important for them when they play better opponents as in Notre Dame in week one of the uh, the semifinals and then if they move on probably against Clemson maybe Ohio State but it's fourth quarter experience and for them to get that was important Florida Justin your Gators they look decent. In the third quarter, they really, really looked good. It was a big bounce-back game. Of course, nobody really expected them to win. What, what was the uh, spread in that game? It, well, the the day – it went down after Kyle Pitts was officially announced that he was going to play. So, I right. think right before kickoff, it was at 15 or 15 and a half. Yeah, and they covered that with ease. And and they, they looked good after that shoe debacle that we couldn't even talk about yeah. the week before. Um, big 12 – I don't really care whoever won that game. I wish the loser was out. Obviously we'll talk about that, but the winner deserves to be in it. So congrats to Oklahoma. And then big 10 Northwestern, like you said, they really, really had that game. And then they just lost it in the end. And by the way, for all those that bet Northwestern plus 16 and a half, including myself, it was a sweat at the end, but it eventually <laughs> hit. So thank God. Um, I will say, well, let's get right into the rankings. I, I kind of want to go through the first, really, it's the, if we're looking at the college football playoff rankings, it's the top 13 teams after that. It's, it's not really important. And there really was no argument. Um, starting with Alabama and Clemson, I don't think anyone on this podcast or anyone on the world in the world had any objections to those two being placed where they are. Um, I think, and I will say this, I don't know how you guys feel, but this is with that we're 
this episode is going to be a discussion amongst friends. So that's how it should be. It should be viewed and that's how it should be listened to. So I don't know how you guys feel. I do think the committee got it right. Personally, I did not believe Texas A&M was skilled enough to be that the fourth team. Um, And I know they're not supposed to take this into account, but Alabama has already played Texas A&M this year and it was a 28-point shellacking uh, in College Station. It was a road game, and Texas A&M lost by four touchdowns. Or it was a road game for Alabama, and Texas A&M lost by four touchdowns. So I didn't want to see that game again, and I don't think the committee did either. So I think they got the order right, even though I think Notre Dame is probably going to lose to Alabama by 35. I just I don't think there's a way to put other teams in. Yeah, the, the problem – I guess not the problem, but what happened this year was we saw three teams, regardless of what you want to say about Ohio State, three teams kind of separate themselves as as um, legitimate, or I guess two teams, but three teams that could be legit contenders. And then kind of like Notre Dame, who's in a tier of its own, because if you match up Notre Dame against like a Texas A&M, an Oklahoma, a Florida, Cincinnati, you know, Notre Dame's a favorite in those games. But like you just said, Justin, like – whatever spread it is can't be high enough because Al- Alabama is minus 19 and a half. That's what it yeah. opened up with 19 and a half. And I, I, what, what's to say Alabama's offense doesn't do more than Clemson's offense just did last, like literally two days ago. Right. They, they got blown out two days ago. Like how, like how, I just, and, and like you said, like A&M didn't do enough to get in. Oklahoma didn't do enough to get in Florida. Obviously no Cincinnati was the wild card here because they were undefeated, but, with the committee continually disrespected their record and strength of schedule. Um, and so it kind of, it, it was kind of left in, like we saw all the analysts say yesterday that, um, you know, the committee got it right. I think it kind of just fell into the, I, I don't know if there was any other thing they could do. Yeah. It's yeah. more like they didn't get it wrong. I think for the top four. Right. The only thing about Cincinnati and I'm, we can talk about this later. I kind of want to say with the four teams right now, Cincinnati Obviously, they played all of their games the best they could. They were undefeated, 9-0, conference champion, so on and so forth. But when you rank them next to Notre Dame and Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, I just think that those four teams are more talented and they would beat them. And obviously, it's not necessarily fair for Cincinnati, but that's where expanding the playoff comes into play. And that's the only reason they, in my opinion, should get in. But obviously, right now, this year, it's four teams. And I think the four most talented and the four more four most deserving teams got in. So I think in that standpoint, the committee got it right. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, Justin said at the top that the best four teams got in and I don't think there's any disagreement where our quarrels come in. And I think what we're going to get to in a second is the rest of what the committee. Yeah. It's it's really, it's five through 13, I think. And really not even 13, it's five through 12. And then I want to talk about UNC um, because well, whatever, I'll, I'll get to it. I want to talk, you brought up Cincinnati. So let's talk, let's start with Cincinnati at eight. Um, do I think Cincinnati deserves to be in the college football playoff? No, but Gary Barta and the rest of that committee said they didn't even consider Cincinnati to make the top four, which is the thing that bothered me the most because Cincinnati looked really good all season. A B they were undefeated in the American athletic conference, which you could argue is better than the PAC 12. So that should be, that should give them a little bit more credit than they got. I don't, I don't think their ranking is wrong because I actually do agree with, and I think this is where I'm going to disagree with you guys. I really like 
Oklahoma at six and Florida at seven um, based off the rankings that they had last week. Uh, I just, I don't like that the, they just kind of dismissed Cincinnati and coastal Carolina for that, for that matter of a fact, uh, two undefeated teams, two group of five teams just kind of got swept under the rug. Do I think they should have made the playoff? No, but would I've liked the committee to have a couple more conversations about them. Yes. Here's, here's, the biggest my biggest issue with what happened is it's not Oklahoma because the like you take a big 12 champion and obviously um we've seen in the past how they value conference championships also you look at a two loss conference champion it's like okay Florida eight and three yes but two of their losses um I don't know if you can call them good loss I don't know if you call any losses good losses but um you know they're playing in the SEC they played for the SEC championship okay you can see value there Cincinnati at eight I kind of feel like they're in the right spot I, I, I can – maybe if you want it for a ranking sake, you put Cincinnati above Florida because Florida is eight and three. But I don't know – do you value the, the AA the, or the American Athletic Conference over um, the, like the Big 12 championship and the schedule that Oklahoma played? Probably not. Where the, My issue comes in is UGA at seven and two. Iowa State at eight and three are ahead of IU at six and one – and the chance to clear is at 11 and nine. Right. We kind of beat around the Indiana bush, yeah. <laughs> which is fine. We're going to get there obviously, but I, um, I agree with you, Georgia, two losses to, to number one and number seven, Alabama and Florida. The rest of their schedule was a joke. And same thing goes for Texas A&M, Texas A&M's best win is Florida, which is a good win. And their second best win is a 28 point loss to Alabama they don't have any good win on their schedule besides Florida. And I don't really know if that warrants enough for them to stay at five. I know they have one loss and one loss in the SEC is still one loss in the SEC, which is impressive in itself. But for, for me, I really uh, – I look at what Oklahoma has done, and I am going to regurgitate a little bit of what Kirk Herbstreet has said the uh, last couple of weeks. But he talked about this Oklahoma team being incredibly young – uh, and growing as the season progressed. And, you know, I, I thought of when he said that college counselors always told you, like, colleges like to see growth when you're in high school. They like to see your GPA go up, not go down. And we saw growth from Oklahoma this year. And Spencer Rattler and that offense really looked like they could contend for maybe not the championship, but they could, you know, they could put up a fight with Notre Dame or o- Ohio State. Um, and that defense is the best we've seen in Norman in 10 years. So I really thought uh, if it were me, I kind of like Oklahoma in that five spot. Florida, I thought, should have dropped last week after the loss to LSU. But The whole the world com- thought they should have dropped. Right. The committee only dropped them one spot. Which So once that becomes final, I like them. I like the committee keeping Florida in the same spot after a very impressive performance against Alabama. I don't really know if anyone had a problem with that because Florida played extremely well against the, uh, the undisputed best team in the country. So I don't think you can really fault a team for losing by less than a touchdown to the best team in the country. Uh, so I li- I do like Florida where they are right behind Oklahoma. And I think that game, uh, in Jerry world is going to be fantastic. Like I said, my, my problems are with Texas A&M at five, Georgia at nine. And the biggest problem is Iowa state at 10. Uh, you got, before we get to Iowa state 
five through nine thoughts, Doug, we haven't heard from you about those. Yeah. Five. I really don't have a big problem with, like you said, it's one loss in the sec. It's to the best team in the nation. Oh, well, you know, they don't deserve to be in the playoff over any of those four teams ahead of them, but being number five does not affect me that much. Six, like you said, you made a very good point about Oklahoma. They were on a good path. At one point this season, they had two losses. They were one and two. I think one loss to Kansas State. Uh, the and the other to Iowa lost, State. Yeah, Iowa State, a fine team. And, and they won the Big 12 championship. They had their arrow going up. Sure, put them at number six. The Florida situation – we, we missed a full week to talk about, and this would have taken up like 15 minutes of the show last week, is how they only went down one spot. But to the committee's credit, they did keep their word. They said, all right, we really value Florida. We value their quality wins. We're only going to move them one spot down last week. And like you said, they played a good SEC championship game, came up a little bit short. You keep them at seven. It's frustrating for anyone else besides that, but you got to respect it. I just wish that the committee was a little bit more transparent with their reasoning and and really setting a precedent. Because this is the thing. They're setting a precedent, unless they change it in the offseason, that the SEC and major conferences have the ability to overstep teams like Cincinnati and teams like an IU team that doesn't have the respect or, let's say, Coastal Carolina. So that's the precedent being set, set right now. If they change it and they, they they change the way that they pick it come off season, that'll be important. But right now, it's just not a great look for the committee. Um, a couple more, just one more thing about Georgia, and then we'll talk about Iowa State, and then we'll get to Indiana finally. Um, Georgia, I it hurts me to say this, you both know that, but they looked like a completely different team after Kirby Smart finally remembered that he had a brain and put JT Daniels in at starting quarterback. They started scoring more points. That was right after the Florida game. And they put up 31 against uh, Mississippi state 45 against South Carolina, and then 49 against a ranked Missouri team, which was kind they were ranked 25th. And that was the way for the committee to say Georgia had one more ranked win to keep them up there. So I get it. Uh, Georgia, Georgia looked talented towards the end of the season, kind of like Oklahoma, where they grew up a little bit uh, and they did lose to two of the best teams in the country. So my, my argument, I, I'm not going to waste my energy on Georgia at nine, where I will waste my energy is Iowa State at 10, which I think we can. I, I think that was the, the point for all people who felt wronged, whether that was Indiana fans or Coastal Carolina fans. Uh, Iowa State opened the season with a loss to Louisiana Lafayette, a group of five team, a talented group of five team, but a group of five team nonetheless. Uh, And then they also lost to three loss Oklahoma State. And those two wins or those, excuse me, those two losses were counted in the eyes of Gary Barta and the committee as quality losses and their loss to Oklahoma in the big 12 championship. My question to you guys is how does the committee value those two three losses over a loss to the third best team in the country on the road it's been only losing by a touchdown I, i i don't i don't really understand go ahead doug they don't value losses is the answer they value wins and i think that's really what it came down to and it's very frustrating. Iowa State beat Oklahoma. 
That's a quality win. Indiana, all of their wins, which looked quality at the time, turned a little bit less and less and less as weeks went by. And then they said, all right, you're the fourth best team in the Big Ten. I, it's just, I, it is so much to think about it. But the short answer to your question is from my side, from what I've been seeing and what I've been reading, they value wins 10 times more than they value losses, which is sure, I get the argument, but you got to value them at least in the same playing field. To watch this IU football team play all year and to, and to sit there and tell people they're not one of the 10 best teams in the country is mind-boggling. They have, a, they have a defense that can turn anybody in the country over. They have an offense that can put up points on anybody. I, I, you put them on the field with Iowa State, and, I, and like, I, I don't think the three of us are going to argue, but, I mean, put that in the committee sense. You put the two of them on the same field, and who comes out with a win? Like, I just – Matt, it I know. It I mean, make any, it doesn't make any sense, and it does. Obviously, it hurts IU that the Big Ten was down this year. Like, who saw Penn State, who opened the year as a top ten team in the country, being absolutely garbage? Um, when the Hoosiers play Michigan, Michigan's ranked, and Michigan turns out that they're terrible. Um, Northwestern also happens to be really good this year and takes out Wisconsin, and the committee doesn't value the Indiana's win over Wisconsin. Like, anything that that the committee could have looked at for the Hoosiers and, and tilted the scale their way. They, they tilted it the opposite way. It just, to, to use this IU team as Ohio state's excuse to be a top three team in the country, and then to turn around and say that they weren't good enough, that they, they, they were the fourth best team in the big 10. Like it just, it, 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 it sucks because if you want, if we got to play the bucket game or we got to see IU play Iowa, um, championship weekend, then maybe we're having a different conversation. And and the fact that um, COVID and everything that happened with the Big Ten, and we, that's a whole different conversation with, about the Big Ten and um, how they've handled COVID and, and how they've th- like or the lack of way they've thrown their weight behind um, IU. But it's just it's frustrating. It, it's well, it's big, incredibly frustrating. The Big Ten trying to help Ohio State solidify their spot in the championship game and in the playoff hurt Indiana and hurt the Big Ten in turn because then Indiana didn't get that chance to play and win for a Big Ten title, and now they're out of a New Year's Six Bowl. Well, there isn't a person in the world that hasn't seen how inept Kevin Warren and the Big Ten has been this year and how really I, – I think what's really been glaring to me this year, and I'm, I knew it before, but like – how much money and brand matters uh, because uh, we said on the show we did two weeks ago, I think that was the last episode we did. If Indiana and Ohio state's positions were switched and Ohio state met the criteria for the big 10 championship, but lost to and a five and O Indiana, there's no way Kevin Warren is advocating for Indiana to get into that playoff because they were the better team. It's, it's, it's all about money. Uh, same reason that Coastal is playing in the uh, – hold on. The, they're I don't playing know Liberty, the name right? of the bowl. Yeah, it's going to be a great bowl. game. They're playing in – The Cure Bowl. Yeah, that's not the full – it's the FBC Mortgage Cure Bowl. <laughs> Coastal's not even playing a Power 5 team, which I think everyone in the world wanted to see. Uh, at least Cincinnati is getting that against Georgia. I'm excited for that game, but there's just no respect for these teams that aren't bringing in the money that the that the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the Ohio State and the Notre Dames and the, you know those those heavy hitters are. I, it's just it really it really sucks and it's a glaring problem in college football that I think 
really has been brightly exposed this year at Keys. I have a question. Yeah. How much of, I mean, and I think brand plays a large part in it every year, but how much of it do you think, like, do you think brand played more of a factor this year because of all the money lost due to COVID that they were like, you know what, we need as much as we can possibly get out of this. Do you think that, the, I, I mean, like, I just, I'm trying to think of other factors that could have gone into, like, I, Maybe we've had that money conversation or not we, but the, the college football writers and media people have had that conversation about money this year. We're like, Oh, teams aren't going to fire guys because they can't afford it. But that has been a problem. Auburn paid Gus Malzahn $11 million this week to, to fire him. So <laughs> money obviously has not been a problem in, in, in the uh, league this year. Um, I know people are having to, to lay, uh, I guess less essential people in the athletic uh, athletic office off, but that's uh, the the big money people that's not affecting, which is which is what you would be talking about. So, I don't know. Maybe you're right. If that bring you know this is year they need to bring in more money for the championship game, so they put in the bigger brands. Maybe, but I, I still I don't think that's a big enough excuse because at the end of the day, we're football fans and we want to watch the best games possible. Also, I do want to say something about North Carolina and how yeah. they're in the New Year's Six Bowl and they're only in it as money. far as I'm concerned is money and the arrangement the ACC has with the Orange Bowl. Is that correct? Yes, it's the same reason Oregon is playing in the Fiesta Bowl, even though they're ranked 25th. Oregon should be unranked. Well, the committee ranked them because they're playing in a Fiesta Bowl. Oregon, I'm, I'm the, kind of okay with just ball. because they won their championship game and we've they heard shouldn't so even many have times. Been playing in that game. It then USC been would have been in it, though. The spot would have been taken. The spot would have been taken by somebody. And if it was USC, so be it. If it was Oregon, whatever. If it was Washington, whatever. But my problem is with North Carolina, they should not be in that position. And if you want to change it and say, all right, well, the Orange Bowl and the ACC has this deal where we're going to keep it and we still wanted a representative. Well, then if you got to say, if you have two teams in the football playoff, then change the rule and say, all right, if you yeah. have two teams in that, then you don't have that guaranteed spot anymore. Cause that's just not fair. That's three teams in a conference or in a, yeah, in a conference that's good, but not necessarily the best. I don't think we're having this argument. If it's one loss Miami who automatically qualified for the, yeah, sure. uh, for the, for the orange bowl, but they lost North Carolina. They have two losses. So North Carolina owns that tiebreaker. I love North Carolina. Like I'm happy they're playing against Texas A&M, but there were better teams that deserve to get that spot instead of them. Um, I agree. And I, I, I disagree with you for the PAC 12. I, I don't think Oregon's that good. I don't even think USC is that good. They're just playing in a PAC 12 that is so bad that they're highlighted. Oregon, like I said, should not have even been playing in that game. Washington just couldn't because of COVID. So I, they're like a, a false God to me like that. They're supposed to be, that's like one of the 12 best teams playing. If you're playing in a new Year's six bowl. So I don't know how you can justify having them in there. It's well, besides money. Of course, you, you, there's no, you can't, you can't call the new Year's six bowl, the top six bowls or the, t the top no. six non-playoff bowls. If they're, if they're going to have automatic qualifiers, right? From, exactly. Because if the ACC is going to be terrible and yes, UNC is a ginormous brand and they're not going anywhere. They're Mac Brown's got a top 15 recruiting class coming in next year. They're not going anywhere. Um, but 
They're they're eight and three, and they have not like we we've we've all watched them play this year. It's they've not like lost they've been very good. They lost to FSU, who you could argue is one of the worst teams in the country. So that that there are other losses to one of them's to Notre Dame, and they I think they lost to Wake Forest as well. But they have bad losses. They have good wins, but they have bad losses. I just feel so bad for this Hoosiers team. Well, the thing that really bugs me, and I, I it's you know it's a crappy year for like for us, like. Of course, Indiana's best year since 1967. No fans are allowed. Um, and then, of course, there's no automatic qualifier for a Big Ten, uh, the best the best non-playoff team in the Big Ten to go to the Rose Bowl because the Rose Bowl is a playoff game. So this that North but Carolina could have been us. screwed out of that too. The way well, the no, not with the, the rankings. IU would have gone over Northwestern. Yeah. Um, which I don't know. I don't even begin to know where to have the conversation about how Northwestern got the Citrus Bowl over the Outback Bowl because the Citrus Bowl is a better ranked Big Ten team plays in that game over the Outback Bowl. So technically, you would think that Indiana gets that. I'm having such a hard time saying it because it doesn't make any sense. Northwestern is like three spots lower, right? Yeah, and then I would. I mean, I would got the Music <laughs> City Bowl, but. They're playing Missouri, and Missouri should have been playing IU in the uh, Outback Bowl because that's where that seeding of SEC team goes. So I, I just don't get it. There's three Big Ten SEC bowl games, um, and IU, like half of them are playing in the wrong game according to their rankings. So the only one that's in the right spot is Auburn. Wait, so question. Am I, am I wrong in saying that the Big Ten, their third-ranked game, is that IU right now? No, that I the is rankings is it yes it is okay yeah Citrus Bowl Outback Bowl that, Music City Bowl. Listen, in, the only the only silver lining in the fact that IU is playing in the Outback Bowl is that it is in beautiful Tampa, Florida, which is very close to to our and we're playing Lane Kiffin, <laughs> and we recruit the Tampa area very well, so it's gonna be good for recruiting. We're going to be able to go to the game. They're going to have 13,000 fans there. So we're going to be two of or three of the lucky 13,000 in the building. So that's going to be awesome. But other than that, it's like I, every like this, this season has been historic for the Hoosiers. And I know we've kind of ducked around talking about the disappointment because we've, there's all these different scenarios and like we could spend two hours talking about why I was in the music city bowl, but um, it's just, like the team's frustrated. The the media personalities are frustrated. Like you just, it's a, it's a collective feeling. Like it's not just like, you know, me and you and, and Doug and, and like everybody kind of like Hoosier fans sitting around in their living rooms. Like it's the team's frustrated. The, the media's frustrated. The school's frustrated. Like it's, it, it it's a cool feeling and it, it sucks, but it's also a cool feeling having this collective frustration that three years ago, we never would have thought it would have existed. You talk about the frustration. Shout out Fred Glass. We talked about pre-show, but his message about not being affiliated with IU anymore, but having these strong feelings because he knows Tom Allen. He knows these players. He knows his program and how it's been so dormant for so many years. And all of a sudden they wake up and they explode and they're still disrespected. The only other thing I would say about IU, and if we want, we can move on, is I hope this is a one-time thing and there is a lot of momentum from this. And I think that because of how they are so good now and Tom Allen's a lovable guy, he was on the big noon kickoff the other night. This is a moving program. I hope this is a continuous thing and it's not just, all right, IU can't be disrespected anymore. I think it's this team deserves to be respected and they are a good team and they are a brand in college football now. Right. So 
couple things for our non-IU listeners. Fred, Fred Glass, former IU athletic director, who has pretty much built everything we're aware of athletically at IU, whether that's men's or women's soccer, basketball, uh, men, women's basketball. He's done a great things for IU athletically, and he retired last year. Um, second point, for, uh, Tom Allen on the Big Noon Show. That black leather jacket is slick. He busts it out from time to time. It is a good look for him. It's a special. Uh, it, is, it really is special. Third, the media. You're right. It's not just you, me, and Keys bitching about the Hoosiers or people on Bloomington's campus. It is Kirk Curb Street and Desmond Howard and the guys on the college game day and the guys that do Big Noon. Everyone is befuddled because IU did not make the top 10 or did not crack the top 10. I think most people would have had them at, uh, at 10th. Uh, it is just, it is very sad because I, I'm, I'd like to be positive and I, and I do think that this program is on the up and up and will improve upon this season next year. But it's still like you have to have that in the back of your mind. Like we, this is still Indiana University, a basketball school. When is the next time they're going to have the chance to go to a New Year's Six Bowl or you know something of that caliber? So, and how long is Tom Allen going to be here for? I am very encouraged that he hasn't taken the Auburn job because there's not a whole lot of better jobs out there, and I know some of that has to do with money. But um, I do feel like he's building something here, and I, and I hope it lasts a long time. But that has to creep in your mind, like. When's the next time they get this opportunity? Even if you're not IU, if you're anybody, when's the next time you have the opportunity to go to a New Year's Six Bowl? So uh, I'm just, I'm really upset and I feel really bad for the players. But the good news is pretty much every single one of them will be back on the field next year and can earn their way into uh, into the committee's favorable site. Yeah, and then just to, uh, just to speak on Tom Allen for a second, we know how frustrated he is. If you, if you caught any of his press conference the other day, um, he kind of just said now is not the time and place to talk about his feelings about the committee. Um, he was told that he was explained or the, the Citrus Bowl was explained to him, but it wasn't to his satisfaction. Um, but we're going to break a little news here on the sideline podcast. We have um, a couple of friends inside the IU athletic department, and uh, we've heard that Tom Allen has had the, the team take off the Big Ten sticker from the front of the helmet, um, and they're going to re be replacing it with a Leo sticker for the bowl game. And we will be covering the Big Ten patch on our Outback or with an Outback Bowl patch on our jerseys. So um, there's going to be a, uh, some. So there's going to be a visual vis visual show of frustration from this Hoosier team. And like you just said, I absolutely fucking love it. And don't think I'm skipping over trashing Gary Barta and the rest of this committee. I'm going to get to that in the segments. If you guys want to save that stuff for segments, we can bring that up then. Um, I know I'm kind of I'm, I'm jumping this on you because we did not prep for this, but I'm looking at the bowl games and there are a lot of good bowl games. And I want to preview the IU Ole Miss game because I know I'm, I'm upset that we're not playing in the Fiesta Bowl, but I'm very excited to see this game happen. I think it's going to be awesome. So just looking at some of these games, I, I, I would, what are what are you, which ones are you guys looking forward to? I know a bunch of them have gotten canceled. But there's a lot of good games out there. I'll go first so you guys can have some time to, to look at the slate. Uh, I know this isn't going to intrigue a lot of people, but Christmas uh, afternoon, Marshall Buffalo. Buffalo got upset by Ball State in the MAC championship on Friday, which surprised a lot of people because Buffalo was rolling this year, averaging over 50 points. Uh, and Marshall lost their uh, conference championship to UAB, which was also an upset. So these two favorites are squaring off. And I think it's going to be a lot of points in the com 
what is that camellia bowl um <laughs> so that's gonna i'm looking forward to that one christmas afternoon football for me I'm, I'm that's one of the ones i'm excited about obviously liberty coastal carolina i would have loved to see coastal play a group a power five team but uh he gets to play hugh freeze in the liberty flames and liberty is a team that people have kind of forgotten about but they have a lot of good wins this year including virginia tech uh and syracuse i know syracuse sucked but two power five wins uh, so that'll be another one, another game with a lot of offense. And there's, there's one that I'm, you know, between two ranked teams that I kind of hate. It's the State. bowl, the Oklahoma state Miami yep. game. I think Called that's it. just going to be a disaster. I think Oklahoma state's going to win. Cause I think Miami's terrible, but I just like, those are, those are like the two teams when I think of overranked uh, kind of the eye test did them more favors than they should have. I, I don't like that. The game that I'm probably most excited for besides the IU game is Florida, Oklahoma. And it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm a Florida fan um, because I've really done a good job of maturing in my IU fandom this year. But I think that Kyle Pitts is not playing uh, obviously. So that changes Florida's offense, but I'm excited to see what Kyle Trask does in his final game as a Gator. And if I can mention this while we're talking about head coaches, Dan Mullen, uh, you know, whatever you think about him, he's kind of a lunatic, but this cements him as one of the best quarterback whisperers, quarterback shapers of all time in the college rankings because Kyle Trask was like the 2000th rated quarterback coming out of high school. And you add him to Tim Tebow, uh, Dak Prescott, and Alex Smith, all under the work of Dan Mullen in his time in the college game, which is, I don't know, I don't know how many other people have that kind of resume. Um, in the college ranks. I know I'm rambling, but there's a lot, there are a lot of good games. I hope Cincinnati kills UGA. I don't know if they will because JT Daniels is going to score a lot, but Cincinnati's got a really good defense. So does UGA. I think that's going to be a good one. I cannot wait for Auburn and Bo Nix to score zero points against Northwestern's offense. That's going to be fun to watch, even though Indiana should be playing Auburn. Like I said, I think Alabama game is going to be a bloodbath. And I I think, yeah, I know. Because they're all great. <laughs> You're asking me what games I want to watch. And you just have you guys pick some more? games and we're going back to Justin Reed's schedule. I know. Yeah, I like Justin, right. Justin well, Two more, two more, two more. Two more. Well, don't uh, I, I want to talk about the Clemson game. UNC I love. I think they're going to beat Texas A&M. All right, you guys go. All right. So I guess out of the one game we have left. <laughs> Um, no, actually, you did not take mine. Uh, mine is BYU God and it, UCF. Now I, I, I like this about. one. I, I think this is a BYU team that is similar to UCF was a couple of years ago. Of course, BYU lost, and that hurts them a little bit, but they're still very talented. I'm also looking for Zach Wilson. This is his bowl game. This is his last hurrah as a Cougar. So I think that is – then I agree with all of Justin's 20 picks – and then also I'll say all the, the New Year's Six Bowls, I mean, when you talk about the playoff games, they're going to be great. I'll watch every single one of them except for the Iowa State game and enjoy it while I do. Yeah, uh, Doug, you took the game I was going to talk about. I really like this BYU-UCF yeah, game. I, I think BYU is really talented. Like you said, it's a Zach Wilson showcase opportunity. But UCF is also really talented and has shown they're not afraid to play teams. And you know they're going to come to play. Um, I guess, yeah, that, that was – yeah, I mean, the Pac-12 has an opportunity to make some noise. I guess Colorado's playing Texas. Um, 
Yeah, Texas is another team that's kind of had an upward trajectory the last. I don't understand how three and seven Mississippi State's playing in a bowl game. Um, oh, you didn't. All right, all right, cool. You didn't mention this game. Um, Brad and I were actually talking about this game earlier today, but Ball State and San Jose State. Um, yeah. The MAC champion and the Mountain West champion are playing, and that game's going to be awesome. So I'm really yeah. excited for that. Did you uh, see the? Did you see the lean on me? Post game, San Diego State or no, San Jose yes, State. Yes, that was awesome. San Jose State also. I'm sure you guys know the story, but they haven't played at home once this year because of COVID. Yeah. They're they're no. not allowed in their stadium. Um, and then, great. Wait, and then, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I'm really excited. Of course, we're talking about IU's incredible defense. The Swarm D, Kane Womack, Swarm D. His last game as defensive coordinator, and they get matched up against this Ole Miss offense, which is as explosive as they come. And so. You want to match strength on strength. We're going to see this Hoosier defense, see if they can contain Lane Kiffin's offense. And so we're, we get to see this team live. I'm excited. I'm yeah. Excited. Uh, I, I do want to mention before we talk about IU, because we're going to break that or kind of break that down. But um, Army got into a game today. They weren't included. Nine and two Army was not included. They were passed up for the, uh, I believe, yes, the Lockhead Martin Armed Forces Bowl. Army was not asked to play in the armed forces bowl. <laughs> Instead, they took three and seven Mississippi state, which you brought up, sense. but uh, Tennessee had some uh, COVID issues. So they are no longer playing. And I believe it will be army versus West Virginia in the Liberty bowl. So I'm glad we get to see army play because they're nine and two and they deserve to, to make a bowl game. Uh, so yeah, a lot of good bowl games. Obviously I, I did kind of go through the entire schedule, but, Let's talk about IU Ole Miss uh, quickly. Ole Miss is four and five. Lane Kiffin's first year in Oxford. They they've played a played a decent uh, season, I guess. Considering they're not Lane's guys yet, uh, kept it close with Alabama. I think they only lost by I think less than ten. I know it was less than two touchdowns. Um, and like you said, this is going to be the story. of This game is going to be Kiffin's offense versus Kane Womack in his last game as defensive coordinator for IU. Uh, you know, I'm look, just looking at ESPN, 40 points per game for, for Ole Miss, and uh, IU's allowing less than 20 per game. So who's going to crack first? I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, Ole Miss scores 40 points a game, but they also allow 40 points a game Correct. too. Um, if Indiana's defense is any type of success, we've seen the offense, even with, with Jack Tuttle, be able to have success. I think that's why we've seen the line open at six and a half um, favoring the Hoosiers. But I just, I, 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 like, like we just said, strength on strength. If you want, like IU has been talking all year about how we, that we believe we have the best secondary in the country. And, and this is a team that's going to drop back and throw the ball. Like, it, like it's going to be, it's going to be a fun game. Yeah, this offense, you guys hit on it perfectly. It's just a, their offense versus our defense. But then where we do have a huge, huge benefit is our offense versus their defense. So I think if Tuttle has a good game and Stevie Scott should be able to control the ball and, and, and control time of possession. I mean, Ole Miss, they have four wins this year. They're against Kentucky, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, and Mississippi State. Four bad teams. So yeah. they can score, but they don't really finish games that much. So I do think Indiana will – I think the line's only seven and a half or something like that I saw. Six and a half right now. Six and a half. Um, yeah. So I, I just think that doesn't really make much sense. But uh, who knows? It's it's a bowl game. Uh, yeah, I, I think you, you guys hit on hit on all the points. I'm excited to see. I really do think um, 
IU is going to come out pissed off, uh, and I think that's going to help. But obviously, uh, Lane is regarded as one of the best coaches in the country, and he's going to have his guys ready to go as well. So obviously, it's not like you know they're not going to look past Ole Miss because it is a bowl game. And Tom Allen, for for when he started in 2016, his motto I think it was like 10, 26, and 51 or something. Uh, Ten years since oh, IU yeah. Yeah. had a winning season, he accomplished that. 26 years since IU won a bowl game. This could be the year, and I think now it's been close to 30 since IU's won a bowl game. So hopefully this is the year you can knock that off and, you know, 50-plus years since IU won the Big Ten. So that's the uh, that's the last hurdle for them to stretch. But he can check the second box, hopefully, on January 2nd. Again, if you're a Hoosier fan, get tickets. This team deserves to play in front of a predominantly cream and crimson crowd. That bowl game streak is the longest out of every Power Five conference. Yeah, not so, surprising. IU made a lot of history this year. It. I'd like them to break some more. Uh, Keys, Doug, any last thoughts on college football before we move on to the NFL? It's better, bittersweet, bittersweet, because it's going to be beneficial for this Hoosier team to go out and, and I believe, put it on kind of like an SEC darling you know, a team that probably I would assume the committee sitting there thinking that Ole Miss's offense is going to come shred up. I use defense and I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so, so, so excited that like we have an opportunity to see this team play in person. It's just, I can't ask for much more. There is some solace too of how everyone is backing us up and there is not just like Indiana fans thinking Indiana should be better. It's the whole nation saying we got screwed. And obviously it's, the IU nation saying it as well. There is some solace to that. Yeah. yeah. You never want to be the, we got screwed team, but it's, it's nice when everybody's like, yeah, you got screwed. Not, no, you didn't shut up. All right. Well, maybe we'll get, uh, we'll get one more show in before the bowl game. But uh, if not keys and I, maybe Doug, I know, I know keys and I'll be there. Uh, Doug's still working the pre-planning out, but yeah, we'll see if that maybe, happens. Maybe Hopefully, we'll, the entire we'll sideline podcast. Like a, yeah, do a do a uh, periscope or whatever they're called. Uh, all right, let's move on to the NFL because the NFL has been equally as entertaining. I just haven't been as fired up about it. Um, and I'm going to rekindle this flame in segments, like I said, when I talk about Gary Barda because what a fucking idiot that guy is. Chiefs, uh, great, great, great win for them this weekend in the dome against the Saints, uh, thirteen and one. Only the only teams they've looked inhuman, the only team they've looked inhuman against is the Raiders. The two times they've played each other, falling with only one loss. Um, I don't think this. I don't know who the second best team in the in the country, the country in the uh, league is. Whether you think it's the the Packers or the Bills or the Steelers, uh, but the Chiefs are like five hundred times better than the second best team. And I, I don't know who's going to play them close. I think the best game of the year hopefully will be in the AFC championship against the Chiefs and the Bills. But I, I, don't, I think the, whoever comes out of the AFC is just going to smoke whoever comes out of the NFC. It sure does seem like that. And like, like you said, it, regardless of who is the second best team in, in, the, in the NFC, and it could be the Saints with a healthy Drew Brees. We don't know how healthy he was um, yesterday, but – the same, like the the Chiefs just look so much better than everybody else. Like not only can like first of all you can't do anything to stop Patrick Mahomes. Like he, even when you have him like taken to the ground, he just wings the ball from these like sideline baseball angles, or not sideline baseball angles, and just 
he just makes throws off his back feet and like leaning backward and just throws that nobody else can make and just puts them on the money. And then they have a defense that makes plays. The secondary, which nobody is talking about, is ridiculously good this year. I think they're the second rated or um, secondary against opposing wide receivers this year. Um, the defensive line, Chris Jones is an animal. He's one of the best players in football. They get to the quarterback. I, it's not just Mahomes in the offense. Like this team actually plays defense too. And it's like, who, who can match up with them? It's not, not that many teams, not that many teams can keep up with the speed on offense and the physicality and, and the way they're playing on defense too. And it's, it's nothing that really surprises us. I think all three of us and 90% of the nation thought that the chiefs would be the best team at this point in the season. And here we are week 15 going on week 16 and they are, and I don't get looking at the stats and I didn't really watch the game all that closely, but just Drew Brees did his first game back. I'll, I'll cut him some slack Did not have a great game. Uh, Camara only had 54 yards rushing, but it was only a three point game in the end. It's just the stats only lined up with the final score. Well, the saints, the saints defense is really, really good. Like yeah. really, really good. And Cam Jordan got thrown out of this game for throwing punches. And so you don't know how it would have worked. Going down the that guy's a, I get some not nice things to say about Cam Jordan. Listen, that's that's your that's your rival. From an outside perspective, yeah. I was stunned to see that guy get kicked out of a game. Absolutely stunned. But I mean, this this New Orleans Saints defense is no joke. And Drew Brees had his worst start to a game his entire career. He was zero five with a pick. Um, yeah. So like, there's teams that can hang with Kansas City, but it's gonna be like it's gonna be tough to go out on the football field and beat them for for sixty minutes. I uh, I I just think like. How it's it's similar to Alabama. Like you want to put money on a game. Like how are you going to wake up the next morning and be the guy that bet against the Chiefs? Like how do you justify that? Uh, I, I just think they're far and away better than any other team. I, I had written, writing. I had the Jets down on the next part of the schedule. I want to hold off because we just did talk about the Bills, uh, and I believe if the Chiefs weren't playing, I think the Bills are the best team in football besides the Chiefs. Uh, they're 10 and three. They smoked the Broncos uh, and the Broncos are not good, but they have a, a an okay ish defense and the cheat or the bills hung 48 on them in mile high. I don't play in mile high anymore, whatever the field's called in Denver. I love Josh Allen. I love this bills team. I know I was a Steelers guy at the beginning of the year. I am. I fully am like the, the Bart Sim or the Homer Simpson meme where I'm going back into the bush and then coming back out. That's me. I'm a Bills fan now. Hey, with, with secondary teams, we can do that. Yeah, first first division title in, in 25 years. They're so much fun. I know, I know. again, very similar to IU fans. I, I know I wish we could see Bills Mafia out there this year because it would be electric. But I, I don't think this is a team that can be discounted, especially with Sean McDermott coaching that defense the way he has. They definitely look scary. And Josh Allen, I mean, every, like you can't watch a, a game with Josh Allen without watching the broadcast talk about his accuracy jump from the from the year before. But, <laughs> I mean, Stephon Diggs has been the best receiver in the league this year. Um, he's, he's le- top three, top three. He's leading the league in receptions. He's been one of the best receivers in the league this year. Um, they have the two running back. Yeah, yeah, Diggs. They have the two running backs, and, and they have a good offensive line. They have a run game. The defense, um, like you said – great coaching and also good individual talent. They're not a team that can be discounted. I think you're right. And to go into mile high and, and obviously we know it's a depleted Broncos defense, but they still have some pieces there and it's not a defense that's been pushed around a lot this year. And to put up 48 
Um, there was a reason why there was all those fans waiting for Josh Allen and, and the Bills team when they got back to Buffalo after winning their first title and was since what, 95? 95, yeah. And you, you want to be hot going into the playoffs. And if they didn't get a Hail Mary thrown against them by Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, they would have won their last nine games. They're, they're, they're eight and one in their last nine. It should be nine and oh. So they are heading up. Like we're talking about their GPA has risen since freshman <laughs> year and they are looking good. That was a callback for the people that didn't listen to the first half of the show. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. I, I love the bills. I think I legitimately think them and the Packers are the only two teams that could beat the chiefs this year. So we'll see how that plays sure out. Ain't the Steelers. Yeah, well, this I, I we're, we won't talk about it because the game it's Monday Night Football right now. The Steelers are currently losing to the Bengals seventeen to seven. The game's not going to finish before we finish the episode. But the Steelers look like a completely different team in the last three weeks. They've lost three in a row. One of them was the football team, who who I think is going to end up being pretty good. Uh, we'll see how Alex Smith can play. But whatever, the Steelers are in trouble. They got to figure it out. They got Mike Tomlin in there. Pretty much, I think even if they lose out, they're going to make the playoffs. So they just got to write that ship before the end of the they season. They got to get healthy. Yeah, they, they, they do. They were rolling, especially defensively, and then they had a couple key injuries. I don't know if they can – I think a couple of them were season-ending, so I don't know um, how much they'll be able to recover. But and they even, also had COVID issues too. Yeah, it's it's a so. they're a little beat up. And, and we kind of thought they weren't going to be able to go undefeated, but I don't know if we saw them dropping off like this. Well, especially – yeah, with two losses – to, I mean, if they lose to the Bengals, that's no one saw that coming. But all right, let's do it. Let's rip the bandit off. We're going to go back to back. Uh, you guys, well, actually, we'll go back to back to back. We'll go Jets, Bears, then Falcons. Um, Keys, you start us off. They, with the game, doesn't matter. The Jets won in LA, which is a miracle in of itself because LA had looked really good the last couple of weeks. But what the, explain to the people what this does for the Jets. <laughs> I honestly don't even know how, how the tiebreaker works. I just know like the the end result of the tiebreaker. But, of course, in the most New York Jets way possible, not only did they go into L.A. and beat the NFC leading at the time, Rams, and a team that was hitting its stride both defensively and offensively. They were, had an emerging lead back in Cam Akers, who's out for next week. Um they have playmakers, receivers on the outside. They have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, big money defense. And here come the 0-12, 0-13, whatever the fuck we are, Jets, moseying into L.A. I just, the hyperdrive I just, offense really looked really looked apart this week. I, I just – if you're in the front office, you have to be pulling your hair out. I, I they, For one win. You can't win this game. Like, you cannot you win this game. Generational. We, we talked about Justin Fields, and, and I, I'm not the biggest fan of Justin Fields. I don't think he's a great thrower of the football. I think he's an exceptional athlete. Um, like I said at the beginning of the show, I don't get why Ohio State doesn't run the ball 100 times a game. Nobody will be able to stop it. But to the, the drop-off from, from Trevor Lawrence as a thrower of the football and just a franchise cornerstone to Justin Fields or whoever would be the number two pick – like in even even in the in the in the stroke of like Bill O'Brienness, and and they decide to trade the first pick if they get it, you're still getting a Lions Hall for the first pick because Trevor Lawrence is franchise changing. I just yeah. it's in it's it's in it's inexplicable to play yourself out of that guy. It, it just it's, it's I had a bad Sunday. It just it just hurts. And 
And the thing is, when they played the Raiders, they were winning. And then Greg Williams helped you guys out. You're like, all right, we don't want to lose that first overall pick. Let's send the house and let them get a touchdown. Quote, let them get a touchdown. Yeah, Greg Williams took the fall for that. And then you got fired. (laughs) Come on. He's the only one on you guys' side. Um, Yeah, I'm looking at the Jaguars' schedule for the rest of the season. And next week they have the Bears. They play Doug's Bears next week because I could see the Bears going out and losing (laughs) that game. So I have some hope. But I just – I cannot believe the Jets decide to go out and win this game. I just – I'm happy for Frank Gore. And that's it. I'm so upset. They have have Indianapolis to finish the season, and I doubt they'll lose to Indianapolis or beat Indianapolis twice this year. So – Looking like Trevor Lawrence is going to find a new home with Shad Khan and the and the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> no, state, no state income tax down here. Exactly. Um, okay, so the Jets. Let me give my two cents, and then I, you can t- mute your mic if you want. But I don't know if – and we're assuming that Trevor Lawrence is going to be, you know, Peyton Manning's heir to the throne, which is what he's expected to be. Franchise chasing. Right. If he's a franchise-changing guy – how the, I don't know if there's ever been a more consequential win in the history of football that this, this will affect the jets franchise for the next 15 to 20 years, probably. And that's, what's so damning. Cause like, okay, you have the second best pick Justin Fields. We don't like him. I don't know what the new jets GM is going to think about, about him, but like, I swear, do you get take, a, do you get an offensive Justin lineman Fields. to help I mean, Sam yes, Darnold? What yes. do you do? Take the kid from Oregon. Absolutely. You don't even think about it unless somebody gives you a, unless, unless somebody's calling going, unless maybe the bears are going, we love Justin Fields. Yeah. Or maybe like, I hope we don't say that. Maybe, maybe Indy is going, you know what? We really like Justin Fields and we think he can change the course of our, you know, if some team calls them as like, Hey man, you got to give you a lot. We'll give you two firsts. We'll give you our first this year and next year for two and a, like maybe a third and a fourth. So I don't know what the what how these picks are valued, but I where you take the kid from Oregon. I just I, I'm so upset. Just it's to, a lot. I need do I need to delete the pictures of Trevor Lawrence from my camera roll? Like I I need to. Yeah. I'm like it's, it, you guys don't. I, I it was a bad Sunday. It was a bad Sunday. Sixteen and a half points, keys. That's the biggest upset in the NFL in like 25 years. They said maybe this even also- more. <laughs> I know. Nobody, I don't want to bury somebody. I mean, I just, yeah, I, I don't want to kill him too much. I don't want to bury you, but I, I this also had implications in the NFC West. Uh, Cause like you said, the Rams moved out of first place. The Seahawks won. They beat the football team barely. Uh, and they moved to 10 and four. And I think they clinched a playoff spot, but they haven't clinched the division yet, but the Cardinals also won They're eight and six. The Rams are nine and five and the Seahawks are 10 and four. So that division is very much up for grabs. And I think they all play each other in the last couple of weeks. So this, that the, the race for the NFC West is going to be very interesting, much different from what was it? 10 years ago when the Seahawks won the division at seven and nine, that was a disaster. Uh, Doug well, Bear- I mean, well, that led yeah. to one of the greatest playoff moments we've ever seen. Yeah, exactly. Doug bears. I mean, this is we – Here we go. Here we go, dog. <laughs> I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but I might. We're in the hunt, and we're getting hunt- – we're hunting and hunting and hunting and hunting, and we're not going to stop. That's it's amazing. two straight wins. This is two straight wins. This is Mitchell Trubisky being the guy that we wish he was the whole season. But realistically, he kind of was, except for a couple of games. But we saw a lot of this 
same action from the quarterback, but then obviously pulled a little bit too early. Fools comes in, they lose some games, whatever. Um, bottom line is they are still out of the playoffs right now. This win over Minnesota pretty much buries Minnesota. They were tied six and seven. The Bears are now seven and seven. Two more games left. They're playing the Jaguars like we've been talking about next week. And then they go to Lambeau Field for the finale, which I really, really hope does not mean anything for the for the Packers because they might, by that point, have clinched the number one seed in the NFC. So that is against the Jaguars, and it could be against the Packers if I think they don't Aaron care. loves to bury the Bears. I agree. Well, especially in the last week when the Bears have hope, you know. <laughs> it's yeah. his favorite. But are you, are you afraid that Matt Nagy is coaching himself yeah. into another year? And Ryan yes. Pace, for that matter. I mean, I th- yes, I am. I am. But I also think that the excitement of two straight wins and optimism <laughs> in Chicago might be worth it. <laughs> no, but I think right now I'm, I'm looking really, really – I'm not looking long-term as much as I am short-term, and I probably should be. But I, I you make a good point because Matt Nagy has been horrible for – 10 out of 14 games this year and Ryan Pace has not had a good draft since a while so I (laughs) I do think that there is some problems with that and if they do come back that is not going to be good for any Bears fans um do the Bears control their own destiny or they need help don't they they need help so yeah that's the other part so the Vikings are out of it the team that we are watching is the Arizona Cardinals and they Uh had a chance to lose against the Eagles. The Eagles, Jalen Hurts came up a little bit short, short. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a crazy game, but bottom line is they need one loss from the Cardinals. They pretty much a game back from the Cardinals. They had the tiebreaker. So if they do end up with the same record with the Cardinals, they're in the Cardinals are out. And then we'd probably play the two C, which is looking like the saints. Yeah, well, um, but I mean, I mean we're, we're taking it one week at a time. Quarterback, so we're, we're taking it one week at a time. But I, regardless, the Bears match up. The Bears match up well against the Saints. We saw in the 26-23 overtime loss that maybe if Trubisky's at quarterback, that game looks a little differently. Yeah, the Bears fans are getting Dude, excited. Let's get tingly, Chicago. I have been for three weeks talking about I, I'm a I'm a Trubisky guy, and I was such an anti-Bears guy for the first half of the season. But I have been a Trubisky guy, and the Bears, the the gin pop of the Bears fans, they feel like they're kind of like they're coming around a little bit. On coming Trubisky. back, you can see he they're is going next step. week against the Jaguars. He is going to throw four interceptions, and the Bears are going to lose by thirty. <laughs> it is please, it is going please, to happen. Please, please, please. <laughs> and then we're just going to watch in real time as Chicagoans their brains melt. Justin, <laughs> they don't you, know what you, to do. You mean the rest of the Jets fans are rooting for it? <laughs> I mean, we've oh seen the story so many times. We get our hopes up, but then in week 16, week 17, you talked about how the Packers always kill the, the Bears' hopes. Um, I do want to do one shout-out, though, to David Montgomery. He's been awesome recently. Really Two turned touchdowns. It it's amazing yeah. you'll get hit two yards deep in the backfield every time. Yeah, and you have a competent offensive line. Exactly. 146 rushing yards. He carried the ball 32 times. Um, so if this is any sign for him to come and, and really be, I mean, obviously running backs don't really stay long-term on teams. And I don't know if he will be the guy in Chicago for years to come, but he's been fun to watch the past couple of weeks. 
I agree with you. And, and I think last year um, it was coming out how much the Bears staff really liked him and his, his ability and stuff like that. And we didn't get to see it because, like you said, he hasn't been running behind a competent offensive line. Once you give this guy space to operate, like he was doing all right, even though he was getting touched two, three yards deep in the back of it every time he touched the ball. Yeah. And so now they're giving him some room to run. And you're seeing some real results. I think he's a th- really talented player and you have something. Okay. I agree. And I'm glad we talked about the Bears. Let me jump in front of the Falcons. The Falcons blew a 24 to 7 lead this week, uh, or a 17 to nothing lead, whichever way to you your, chop to it your up. Good they friend. Blew it. You're good. Uh, friend, Tom yeah, to Brady. Tom Brady. Tom Brady moves. Tom Brady, the football player, moves to <laughs> 7 and 0 career against the Falcons, which is an interesting stat. I, did, I didn't know that. Um, but yes, the Falcons blew another league or lead. Uh, good thing that came out of this game. A, this probably means that Raheem Morris is not going to be retained as the head coach, which I don't hate Raheem Morris. I just – I want a new guy. Um, but Raheem Morris did bench Todd Gurley today. So Todd Gurley is no longer the starting running back in Atlanta, which is fantastic. I've been anti-Todd Gurley since the signing. The guy's got no knees, uh, and he's not an effective runner anymore. I really like Ido Smith, who is now the starter – uh, he's, he's not Alvin Kamara. He's not even David Montgomery, but he is, he's an interesting back that I, I would like to see what he has, um, before we move on to next season, obviously the running backs now, it's about being young and he certainly is that. So I'm excited about that. Um, obviously I'm ecstatic that the Falcons lost this game, uh, because I was saying to my friends today, four and 10 is a lot better than five and nine in terms of draft stock. And we don't own the tiebreaker, or we own the tiebreakers against a couple of the teams that are right there with us. Uh, so, like that Chargers win against the Raiders, that was huge this weekend for the Falcons. Um, and uh, the the NFC uh, East keeps winning; that's huge for the Falcons. So, right now they're slated for the fifth pick, and I think they could get as high as four because they play the Chiefs this weekend, and then they got to play in Tampa Bay next weekend, probably like two days after we're going to be at Raymond James. I might, maybe I'll just stay in Tampa. Um, I didn't even think about that. The Falcons might play the Buccaneers the day after. Oh, I might have to do some research about that. This is really just us talking episode. This is completely. Yeah, this is a conversation. Conversation. All right, let's um, we'll continue this conversation off there. Cause that's, yeah, that's, that's, that very, is, an, I didn't very, think about very that. Very interesting. Um, okay. But yes, I, again, not unhappy. I really did, no one texted me this week, which was nice because after the Cowboys game and the Bears game, I got a lot of texts. Well, you're uh, already dead now. Nobody yeah, cares. I know. And, yeah, and I think I've made it very clear that I'm rooting for the Falcons to lose, which has lost me a few friends, but that's fine. Uh, Matt, look, I, I don't, I don't want to get into like the specifics, but there's going to be a, a day of reckoning in Flowery Branch, Georgia, this off season. And I really don't know who's going to survive it. Calvin Ridley has proved that he's one of the best receivers in the sport. Um, so that's really exciting considering how young he is. Julio has played what has felt like his three games this year. He is on the, he is 30 years old now. I think he's almost 31. So it's time to reevaluate him. Um, and Matt Ryan, if he wasn't making $40 million next year, I think it would be time to move on from him. But I, I think I'm interested to get you guys thoughts on this. This is really all the conversation I want to have about the Falcons. Like, 
do you draft a quarterback trade for, you know, Wentz or something, you get a guy or even Darnold, you know, someone like that. Some guy who's doesn't have a home anymore or you draft well, Darnold a guy. Has, I mean, now that we have the number two pick, Darnold is cemented as the quarterback. Right. Yeah. Okay. The yeah. I guess that was the wrong. Like, like Wentz or even like a Trubisky. Um, I think if the bears decide to move on. Do you let a guy, whether, you know, it could be Zach Wilson or Mac Jones, do you let a guy sit behind Matt Ryan for a year or two, kind of like the chiefs did with Pat Mahomes and Alex Smith and kind of learn a little bit mature Jordan loves doing that with the, with the uh, Packers right now behind Aaron Rodgers. Uh, that's kind of what I think the Falcons, I don't think they're going to be winning anything in the next couple of years, but I also don't think they're at the point where they can move on from a 35 year old Matt Ryan. Because yeah, of the money. I think, I think the, the move I think for the Falcons would be to try and draft somebody that will help this team compete immediately because I don't, I think, Matt Ryan, even though he is 35 years old and we've saw he lost a little bit on his arm this year, I, he's still going to be, he's still smart enough. Obviously he's seen so much in this league and, and he has weapons around him. that He's going to be able to make plays. Um, I think if you want to take a guy that'll be able to sit behind him and learn, you take one of these second tier quarterbacks, maybe like somebody who falls into the second round, like you said, a Mac Brown or, or a Kyle Trask. I don't know. They might be first rounders, but maybe take a Mac second Brown's guy. playing quarterback next year. I'm going to be really surprised. Because he's 70 years old and coaches North Not, Carolina. Oh, Mac Jones. Yeah, Mac, yeah. <laughs> Mac Jones. That, yeah, you know, you know who I'm talking about. Mac Jones, Heisman candidate Mac Jones. Um, yeah. You take a guy like that, maybe he sits behind Matt Ryan. But I think with the, with the guys they have and the, and the money they have invested in the places they do, you need to try and compete. And they have the, the ability to do that. I think if you get into the playoffs, you feel confident going to battle with Matt Ryan. There's a lot of, there's a lot of groups that the I, I, the Falcons need a player at pretty much every position. Um, I think what I would like to see them do would be to draft Patrick Sertan from Alabama, his cornerback, and would really shore up that secondary across from AJ Terrell. And then you have Keanu New, uh, Keanu Neal playing safety. Um, that's what I would like to see them do. AJ Terrell, I, I I gave him a lot of shit after the Falcons drafted him. He has. Not been perfect this year, but has really grown up a lot. And I think he's going to be a very, very serviceable cornerback in this league. Yeah, I think we gave him, or at least I definitely gave that pick a lot of shit as well when, when it initially happened. And he's he's been guarding number one receivers all year. Yeah, he's getting, exactly. He's grown as a player and he's taken his lumps. But, I mean, this guy comes back next year after his rookie year and he's more mature. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's smarter. He has that experience. It's it's a valuable thing going forward, and he played at Clemson, so right. like, you know he you know the type of athlete and the talent he has. So, Justin, three yeah. pass catchers. You guys still have very good pass catchers: Julio Jones, Kelvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst. How what what's their contract situation like? Because I to answer your question about Matt Ryan, I really do think it depends on who he's throwing to. So if those guys stay, I think you keep him, and then you you might build someone up behind them. But if they're going, then you might just start the rebuild now. So Julio was in the first year, I guess the first year he was extended um, three years for all guaranteed money. Uh, It was 60. I think he was $66 million contract, three year extension and 64 of it was uh, guaranteed. So he's in the first year of that three year extension. Calvin Ridley, I believe is locked up. Don't quote me on that, but I believe he's locked up. Hayden Hurst was we, uh, the Falcons traded for him from the Ravens. Uh, and I think he's got one or two more years left on his deal, but I could see the Falcons extending him. They've always valued offensive players, especially tight ends. Um, look yeah. at what they spent on Tony Gonzalez 10 years ago. 
Uh, yeah, and then they got Russell Gage too, who I who I really like. Alameda Sakitas, he's been great for the Falcons. So I think they're and uh, Laquan Treadwell played this weekend because Julio was out, and he's you know he's not a number one guy, but he could definitely be the three or four guy in the future. That's the old so, Miss guy, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, there are certainly a lot of offensive weapons for this team. The problem is the same as it's been since the Super Bowl year, or I guess the year after the Super Bowl year in the trenches, the offensive line's not as good as it was. The defensive line's not as good as it was, and they still can't tackle. I feel like all of my teams can't tackle, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the Falcons need a lot of help. And I don't, I agree with you. I would love to draft the quarterback of the future. Just like be like, Oh my God, we drafted the quarterback of the future, but there are certainly a lot more, uh, Pressing. pressing needs and the problem is like i i'm going to talk myself into it in july and june of next year like the falcons have the talent to compete for a playoff position they did this year it's just i think getting the bugaboo of the dan quinn staff out of there in the dimitrov era i think that's going to be huge for for this team uh I, I i'm looking forward to the new regime and that's really all i all i really care about is who's going to be gm who's going to be head coach uh and by the way the falcons are playing in tampa bay the day after uh the outback bowl so i may be doing a double feature at raymond james stadium we will see about that uh every other games i I wrote down it's it's a weekend of favorites that won besides the bears and the the jets uh but it was it's pretty much chalk Uh, i think the carson Wentz era is over in philadelphia and i don't know where he ends up next that's really the only thing i wanted to talk about besides uh, the, the stuff that we covered already. What's I mean, going to go, it, what's going to happen with, I think Jalen hurts is really good. So I like, I'm not worried about the Eagles future, but what happens with Carson Wentz? That dude's got a hundred million dollars. That's a contract. You can't just eat. I think the answer is obvious. I think it's staring us in the face. I think there's the a helmet. There's a helmet in the league no. that has a C on it. And Carson, the Colts, Wentz, his first name starts with a C. Okay. The Chicago yeah. Bears. I really don't. Carson don't. Wentz. He's toughness. Guy stands back there in the pocket and waits to get hit by every single person on the field before he throws the football. And he just throws it in the air and hopes somebody catches it. It's classic Chicago Bears quarterback. We've been watching it for, for 10, 15 years. Kyle Orton, Jay Cutler, the, like the, Rex Grossman. Trubisky, Grossman, Trubisky, Foles. You know, these, like, He's he's next in the long line. I can already see it happening. I can see the way he looks in that number eleven in Chicago. Mooney might have to change numbers. Um, <laughs> I can, yeah. can I rebuttal? <laughs> Go ahead. One one. I don't think you've been watching Mitch the past two weeks. That's my first funny. <laughs> oh, my oh my god! Oh my god! I'm, I'm kidding, so I'm glad this I'm is so recorded. ready for the Carson Wentz Mitch to be quarterback no. controversy. <laughs> No, I, that was, that was a half Mitch. a joke. That was probably about a 75% joke. Um, you were 75% serious. <laughs> but I don't – I mean, if you watch Carson Wentz, besides his MVP season, he has not impressed anyone. And Jalen Hurts has that same offense, the same receivers, the same offensive line, and he's doing 10 times better, 10 times more than what Carson Wentz did. So I don't know – because realistically, I get the Bears have more – more options, I guess, on offense than the Eagles do right now, especially with all the injuries and everything. But it's not like the Bears have a perfect setup. It's not like he's walking into a situation where you could just be average and then succeed. So I, I do think you need a little bit more. And I, I just, I as a Bears fan, and we've been a fan this whole episode for whatever team. I don't want it. So does, does so Carson Wentz doesn't move the needle for you? No, I would. 
Does, oh, does Sam, the Colts? That sounds interesting. Yeah, to I actually. Me. I, I, when you work. said the Colts, I, I think I actually. They have the offensive like line that. to support Carson Wentz's fragile demeanor. <laughs> I, I that that uh, would excite me. I can just see the Bears doing something stupid like that, being like, "Oh, this guy's a yeah, hundred million dollar quarterback. Must Let's be go good." <laughs> if if Sam Darnold wasn't a Jet, I guarantee you the Jets would be like, "He's wearing green already." Just <laughs> put him in a but different that, color green. Maybe he'll be good. For the Colts, though, they do have a great defense. They have, they, they, I mean, they, they have a season of success right now. So I feel like for Wentz, the Colts, are, knows, the Colts are the Bears are the better offensive line. The Colts, yeah, the, I think the the Colt, but I, the Colts have a better offense. I think the only thing holding them back on offense is Philip Rivers. Uh, I would argue that the, the Bears honestly anymore. have better. I would, or I would argue the Bears technically have better options on offense. I think the offensive weapons. line, yeah, weapons. Indy's offensive line is far and away better than yeah. Chicago's. Yeah, I think that's the biggest offensive difference line that's better. And and Indy plays in the AFC South. If Chicago played in the AFC South, they'd probably be nine and four too. And Rivers is on a one-year deal, so he's he yeah. could be out of here after and this year. It, it's and it looks like Jacoby Brissett is not the quarterback of the future no. either. So the 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 Colts will certainly be looking back. That's one that that's one you got to look at. And the um. 49ers too. I mean, whatever you think about Jimmy G, he has been healthy, but he also hasn't been good. So let's see what move. Let's see what Kyle Shanahan decides to do as well. He's another hundred million dollar guy. Um, a lot of pieces could be on the move this offseason. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, all right. Any NFL thoughts? I, I really. This is just. We're just uh, talking anyway. So go ahead. I think the that the Packers might be the best team in the NFC. I agree. I don't I, think it's I don't close think either. At all. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that's a, and I, I believe that – I mean, Rodgers is playing at a ridiculous level. I think he's got 40 or 40-plus 40 touchdowns and four interceptions. Um, yeah. So, if he's going to play like that, then it doesn't matter who's playing defense. And so, they'll offensively be able to match up with with um, Kansas City. And so, I would be looking forward to seeing that matchup in the Super Bowl. I'm, I feel I, – Go ahead, Doug. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, all right. Um, I was just going to say somebody in the AFC is going to get screwed out of the playoff spot. After it got expanded, it's either going to be the Dolphins, the Ravens, or maybe the Browns or the Colts. But I think they both get in. So I think it's I going no, to be the Dolphins or Ravens. I want to see the Dolphins in the playoffs. I have no interest in watching the Ravens play. Oh, I, yeah. It would be. I think it'd be beneficial for Tua to play in the playoffs. I think it'd be more beneficial if they get, for for this Dolphins team if they got screwed out of it. So I'm I'm interested to see what happens. Yeah, to get a higher draft pick. Not, yeah. not even that, just to have that motivation. Like they were good enough this year, but they didn't get yeah. it. And so, and they were young and all, and all this stuff. And so it, it could be a nice little motivation piece for a young team, but also you want to see the best teams play in the playoffs and it kind of sucks. That it's going to it potentially is going to come down to either Lamar Jackson or Tua Tagovailoa that we're not going to get to see play at the highest level. Um, we'll see. I am hoping now I'm going to switch back a little to the NFC. Um, I'm hoping that it's the football team that finishes in first and they get to host a playoff game. Uh, if Alex Smith is playing upset alert for that game, they have, I've watched now the last couple of weeks. Um, they should have beat Seattle this weekend. Uh, and I really think they have one of the best defenses in football. Uh, and they almost won this weekend with Dwayne Haskins playing quarterback, who is and like, no Antonio the biggest Gibson. bust since Jamarcus Russell. So, or uh, what was that kid's name who went to Notre Dame? Uh, who, or Brady Quinn? No, no, after Brady Quinn. Uh, the Vikings drafted him. He's a uh, ponder, Christian Ponder. Um, <laughs> no, he went to, he went to FSU. He yeah, went to FSU. Yeah. 
I'm thinking there's a there's a Notre Dame guy that I'll, I'll figure Deshaun out. Sean Kaiser? But, no, before him. But Christian Ponder is a good example too. He was highly drafted. Whatever, huge bust. Jimmy Clausen. Um, yes, Jimmy Clausen. Panthers, right? Panthers. Yep. Former um, Bears backup. Yeah, Panthers before Cam. That's that's who it was. Yeah, he was terrible. Yeah, was. Um, <laughs> yeah but I, I would like to see Washington. I don't know who, or I guess who the NFC East would be hosting. Uh, but I would. I'm, I, hopefully, it's Washington. I hope the Cowboys don't sneak in and ruin everything because. Their defense is so bad, and I don't want to watch Andy Dalton play in the playoffs. Uh, but yeah, that's it's we're, we're shaping up for a good offseason. I think you brought up the Packers. I think the Packers are far and away the best team in the NFC. Uh, I have a lot of trust issues with the Saints. I think I agree with you. I think their defense is very good. I just don't know what Drew Brees is going to show up day in and day out, uh, and that that worries me. Obviously, Kamara didn't have a great day either this week, and that affected the team as well. So. It's a crapshoot in the NFC after the Packers. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, IU basketball. I think they've only played one game since the last time we recorded, and that was the Crossroads Classic against Butler. Uh, Archie Miller, 4-0 in Crossroad Classics game. I watched that game, sacrificed a little bit of the the early Big Ten championship. Um, that second half, what the first half, very forgettable. Uh, offensively and defensively for the Hoosiers, but that was one of the best second half defensive and offensive performances I've seen from Indiana ever, or not ever, in the Archie Miller era. I, that defense was everything and more that you've wanted to see from Archie Miller. And we talked about how this defense is a top 20 offense or defense, I should say, even better than in the whole NCAA. So they're going to be consistent day in, day out. They, it was a weird start you talked about the first half it was an early game it wasn't even 11 central time i guess so i guess uh it wasn't even a noon yeah, eastern it was game. 11 it was 30 eastern yeah. for no reason I, I don't i don't get that but um regardless it was just an early start they they slumped a little bit early on but the defense has been great and it's been a mixture of people it's been trace jackson davis guarding the rim with race thompson and then finnessy has always been a great defender from since his freshman year then now Better than ever is Armand Franklin, who is yeah. scoring on offense. He's playing sometimes the best defender on defense and shutting them down or at least making them pass and do other options. So I think that that combination of Jackson Davis, Finnessy, Durham, I mean, and then now you add Franklin into the mix. It's a very, very dangerous team. It's still a little bit of a polarizing team. Sometimes they show it, sometimes they don't. But I think more and more into the season, that will become one team and it won't become – all right, they played well. They don't play well. Yeah, I think other than Trace, Armand Franklin's been the guy for me. Um, you mentioned offense or um, defensively, but offensively, I mean, he's hitting threes. Um, and this entire Indiana team kind of has, has been finding their stroke recently. That's something we're, we're going to need to see happen. Um, but defensively, even without Joey Bronk, um, who we know the, the type of energy and, and tenacity he brings on the defensive end. But like this is this is a really really good defensive team. We've seen Archie Miller's Hoosiers teams play defense, but I mean the way Trace is playing in the low post on offense, he just looks absolutely unstoppable. Race is the ener- energy guy; he's grabbing offensive boards. Um, the guards are going to be good. The, the the young guys, Trey Galloway, um, kids playing crunch time already. It w- looks like looks like he belongs in the court. No fear. The other freshmen are going to get their time. Jerome Hunter. Um, starting to get more minutes and so we're starting to kind of see all these guys come along and just to go back to Franklin for a second there was an Archie Miller quote I think from last week where he was kind of talking about 
Um, the coaching staff doesn't worry about Armani. So he's responsible. You know, he, they know he gets his stuff done. They know he's going to be where he needs to be, be prepared. And um, we're starting to see that translate in the court. And so that's very encouraging going forward towards a Big Ten season that starts on Wednesday. And the Big Ten is going to be an absolute gauntlet this year. Yeah, I, the first opponent against Northwestern, uh, or first opponent is Northwestern on Wednesday, who just knocked off Illinois. Illinois, we'll get to in, in a few minutes. But oh, they Michigan had a, State. A rough – oh, they beat Michigan State, sorry. Uh, yeah. Who – well, I, now I've got me talking about Illinois, whatever. That's a great win against Michigan State. That's all i got to say about that. Out too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, right now, top of the leaderboard in the Big Ten is – our friends up in Piscataway, Rutgers, huge win. They beat Illinois uh, was yesterday on Sunday, and they've got a huge one on Wednesday against Ohio State in Columbus. So this Big Ten, we know it's deep. There's going to be losses. It's going to be a lot like SEC football. Um, there's going to be really good teams with five, six, seven losses because of how deep the uh, Big Ten is this year. And that's why scheduling the Maui tournament and the Crossroads Classic and playing Florida State early on in the season, you raise your strength of schedule. Uh, right now, I think it's like around 17th or 25th, I see. So it's, it's a very high strength of schedule. And a lot of the teams that have closer to number one than that are bad teams. So I think Power 5 teams, Indiana is up there. And that's what's going to help them come tournament time. And when they want a higher seed, they're going to look back and say, all right, well, we played Butler, we played Florida State, we played in the Maui tournament, we faced these teams early on when everyone else was playing Southeast Missouri State of, like, just teams that aren't really that powerful, you know? Yeah, I I think that's a good point. Um, For a team that I I think we all assume we would have made the tournament last year, but it got taken away from everybody, but haven't made a tournament since we've been on campus. Um, You like to see not only that we're scheduling these tough games early, but that we're competing and winning these tough games. And so, it's going to really prepare them for the grind that this season's going to be. And, and the Big Ten's always tough, yeah, but this year it could really be like the ACC was a few years ago where they had 10 teams in the tournament. Like, you, you, like the conference is incredibly deep. And, I mean, we can talk about Iowa if, if we want right now and their game against Gonzaga. But uh, other than I – mean, I, I have a just a – or Doug – well, I, for, this is news for Indiana, Doug, or Keys, if you guys can clear this up for me, yeah. I don't know. Um so Indiana got a huge transfer from Tennessee Martin, uh, yeah. Parker Stewart, who should help them shooting the ball. It's actually a, a really sad story. He went to go play for his dad, and his dad suddenly died. Um, his dad was a coach at Tennessee Martin, so he decided to come to a different school. So that's really terrible, but we're happy to have the shooter as fucked up as that sounds. Um, I'm happy he's on this team, but – the NCAA changed the rules. Is he immediately eligible or is that for players who transferred so, last off season? Doug, I don't know if you know more about the transfer rule, but I and know in this specific case, I believe that Stewart's eligible to play in January, but there were talks of him taking uh, kind of like a year off or so to kind of deal with the whole situation, which is incredibly understandable. Um, yeah. Like you said, we're happy to have him aboard and obviously – um, he went to Pittsburgh his freshman year, and I think shot over 40% from three in the ACC. Yeah. So um, this is an experienced shooter. This is a guy who has a legitimate stroke and something that could absolutely help this Indiana basketball team. Um, you hope this year, but obviously you want um, – you hope he, he uh, you know, is in, can get himself in a better place and can kind of get the, that stuff figured out and take some time away. But, yeah, he's definitely going to help. But I think if, if he really wanted to, I believe he's eligible to come play in January. 
I am not sure on this. I know I cover the women's team and I'll talk about that a little later, but I know they had a transfer in the summer. She's immediately eligible. She's already played two games, but I think, well, yeah, to, to your point, I'm not exactly sure if he's eligible or not, but from what I've read, I haven't really heard about him, you know, playing against playing, Northwestern. Right. Or, yeah, or, I yeah. didn't read anything either. I was just so, curious. I, I, know, I, really I, do think sure. it's, I, I really do think it's January. I, I do um, remember seeing that somewhere. I know after they passed that rule or this change last week and Alex O'Connell was ineligible to play this season and they passed that and the day after he was playing for Creighton, yeah. which now, yeah. I mean, Creighton is going to be something this year for the rest of the season. But I didn't know if that applied to Stewart or not because he transferred, you know, a week ago as opposed to over the summer. So, well, hopefully maybe we'll have, you know, in, in next time when we actually prep, I'll, I'll look into that. Um, but yeah, Keys, you talked about the Gonzaga Iowa game. We talked about this Big Ten and how deep they are uh, right now. I think I, I guess the rankings they come out tomorrow. But as of today, the Big Ten's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven ranked teams, um, which is incredible. Iowa, I guess no, the rankings did come out today. Iowa dropped back one spot. They were ranked third when they lost to Gonzaga, and they got crushed like that game was never close I know they lost by 11 and I still think Iowa is fantastic they just didn't shoot well from beyond the arc uh Gonzaga is far and away the best team in basketball this year and I don't think I think it's kind of like the Chiefs I don't think it's particularly close yeah um Jalen Suggs really announced himself to the world uh over the weekend like obviously um basketball purists knew who he was but I mean, I think at halftime he was five of six from deep and just hitting everything he could. He was taking. It was just unbelievable. Like I thought going into that game that Iowa was the best team in the country. I thought nobody was going to be able to deal with Garza, and obviously he had, had a pretty decent game. But like Gonzaga was not really ever feeling stress in this game at all. Um, nope. They were. They were. They hit everything they took from outside, and and they smoked. A, an Iowa team that I just I thought they were the best team in the country and like obviously Gonzaga is oh Jalen Suggs by the way an insane player probably top three player Luka Garza right now is the front runner for player of the year but obviously it's still very early Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga has been an absolute stud for them and he got hurt early on and then came back against Iowa and, and really performed well I don't know the exact set on this so don't quote me but I know in combination of layups and dunks, Gonzaga missed a lot. And they still won this game comfortably because of their outside shooting, like you were talking about, Keys. So I think if they put this all together, which, I mean, they pretty much have like 95% of it already. But once they, you know, convert those points, and they scored 99 points. So the, their ceiling is very, very high. I think it is, I mean, you, you don't want to say this in college basketball because of all the ups and downs, but Right now, at least, it looks like it's Gonzaga versus the field. Yeah. I just – I haven't seen enough of uh, Baylor against good teams, and I have Illinois written down here, and they – Baylor manhandled Illinois when they played them early in the season. Illinois, another kind of victim of a tough schedule so far. They're 5-3, and three, but the record really doesn't tell the story because they are – their losses are at Baylor – 
uh, at Missouri, who was unranked at the time, but is now the 14th ranked team in the country. We've seen kind yeah, of a, good. an emergence of, of respect for Missouri. And they just recently lost to in Piscataway to Rutgers, uh, who turns out is actually pretty good as well. We kind of th- we thought they were going to be good. It turns out they're going to be really good. So Illinois, three losses, but to three really, really good teams. Um, I know a lot of people thought this was going to be the year for Illinois, and it was going to be a battle between them and Iowa and Michigan State, I guess, for the Big Ten championship. But uh, some speed bumps early. I, I, I mean, I know they're, they lost to good teams, but if, if you think you can contend for a Big Ten championship and then a Final Four, if you're a fan of Illinois, you'd like to see them win at least one of those games. Sure, you'd like to see them, but then you see they also play Minnesota. They blew them out of the water. That was their rebound game against Mizzou. And then they also played at Cameron Indoor and demolished Duke. So it's like Duke is bad. Duke is sure, really bad, I but think. Winning in Durham is a, yeah, agreed, agreed. a good win. And, and so you like you said, you you want to win one of those games, but if anything, they're gonna take the those losses and Brad Ender was gonna say, here's what we did wrong. Here's how we improve in the last three minutes. Io Desunmu has made some mistakes. I think it was against Mizzou. He had like two, three turnovers in the last two minutes. You got to fix that. And and then once you come to Big Ten season, you're in the heart of it. And then once you get to the tournament and then the NCAA tournament, I think that these losses in some respect will help them coming out of it. Yeah, I I agree. Um, Again, I I feel this is the third episode we've talked about college basketball. I still think it's a little early to get into like big picture stuff. Uh, because we haven't seen enough and really we're going right. into conference play in the next couple of days. So once we do conference play, we'll know more about the teams. And obviously there's nothing better than conference play in college basketball. So, and a positive update on Keontae Johnson for Florida. So that was, I know that was also huge news in college basketball over the last couple of weeks. So obviously I think everyone's very happy about that. Uh, it is 24 to 10 in the Bengals game, just so we're all, updated live updates on the podcast um yeah doug by the way you mentioned baylor very very quickly they were supposed to play gonzaga early on that game got canceled because of covid they are the clear number one and number two it seems like right now yes especially after that iowa game so they talked about trying to reschedule it we'll see if it happens but that would be a showdown for the ages at least for early season Games. Scott Drew has been one of the best coaches in college basketball for years. So it's, it's nice that he's finally, you know, getting those teams back to how good they were a couple of years ago. Uh, we'll get into segments now, if you guys are okay with that or not segments, sorry, UFC. I know there's, UFC say, we, we got, we got a couple, Sorry, yeah, a couple things to talk about. Well, we haven't, we haven't spoken in two weeks and in the last two weeks we've had a pay-per-view and the last UFC event event of the year. So I want to take us back two weeks ago. Um, I'll start with the co-main event from that fight, Charles Oliveira and Tony Ferguson. Um, this is a real changing of the guard fight. You have Tony Ferguson, who's been at the top of the lightweight division for, it seems like, ever. You have Charles Oliveira, who we've seen grow up in the UFC. I think his first fight was when he was 21. He's now 30 um, or something like that. Um, yeah. But it was a straight-up domination. Oliveira looked fantastic. It was the birth of what seems like a new star and potential contender at lightweight and um, we'll see where Tony Ferguson goes goes next. There's been a lot of veteran cuts recently in the UFC, so hopefully, um, for fight fans' sake, we see Tony stick around. But you never know. Um, you watch that fight, right, Doug? Yeah, too early for a cut. I mean, that's a bad loss. Ferguson really looked like he was defending. He was always backing up, and usually, 
I mean, realistically, he could have been out in round what I think one, oh, maybe yeah, two. The arm, yeah, it was round one. The, the arm bar. bar was absolutely disgusting. I mean, any yeah. normal human being um, would have tapped to that. If you go look at Tony Ferguson's elbows, looked like it was it was yeah. uh, hyper extended. It was absolutely nasty. Um, and even if it was even if it was five seconds after, like the bell mm-hmm. rung, they let go. He was fine. Well, quote fine, but if it was five seconds after. I don't think I don't know if you would have tapped, but like there, something would have popped out, and the referee, like there, there would have just been something that would have stopped that. So I think he got saved by that. Uh, to bring back Oliveira, though, he, like you said, grew up in the UFC, has been looking very, very good, striking, and now wrestling in this fight. He, I think, should be getting a title shot very, very soon. I don't know if it's going to be yet the, because the, there's so much traffic. That's the thing. The problem we have, Connor. McGregor and Dustin Poirier are fighting on January 23rd. There's a rumor Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler fight that's going to happen. And so you have four guys that are seemingly, I guess, ahead of right. Oliveira. But you could argue that Oliveira could be any of those guys. And so it'll be interesting to see what the UFC does. Then moving on to the main event of, of that card, UFC 256, was Davidson Figueredo and Brandon Moreno, which turned out to be arguably the fight of the year. They fought to yep. a, a draw. And it was it was it was a case of the contender being being the big underdog and just coming to fight. Um, Figueredo was in the hospital on Friday night until like 2 a.m. I think he was in the hospital two different times dealing with food poisoning. Um, so and I kind of noticed going into that fight, his eyes, it looked like he had heavy bags under his eyes. And it's kind of odd for, for a fighter going into a, a championship main event fight to, to look that tired. And so I had some questions, but I didn't didn't kind of know what was going on. Turned out the hunch was correct. Like I said, he was in the hospital, but um, I mean, Figueredo just walked forward and threw bombs at Moreno and Moreno was going nowhere. All fight just stood in front of him. They traded. Uh, I mean, that, that fight was absolutely, absolutely incredible. And if not for the point loss, I believe Figueredo would have won it. Um, But we, we come into the year and there's so many questions surrounding 125 and the UFC, and if they're even going to keep the division. Davidson Figueredo wins the title fight back in, I think, January or February, um, but he missed weight for the fight, so he couldn't win the title. So he had to run it back against Joseph Benavides um, six months later, I think in July. He absolutely demolished him. Go back and watch that knockout, Figueredo versus Benavides two. Figueredo wins the title. He then fights three weeks ago. He fights Alex Perez, destroys him in the first round, and you think he's going to walk through Brandon Moreno, and they put on the fight of the year. And so an incredible year for 125, an incredible year for Davidson Figueredo. He's a star. He's an absolute yeah. star. Anytime he fights, I will watch, and the majority of fight fans too. He doesn't speak much English, but that's coming. He's got a translator, but that guy is – is star power, star material. You say it's a, the fight of the night. I, we were texting that whole night back and forth, and I think it was the fight of the night, fight, fight of the Fight of the year. night, definitely, potentially fight of yeah. the year. Fight of the year, too. I, I really do, because, one, for a fight of the year candidate, you have to have two guys just slugfesting and going back and forth. One guy wins round one, the other guy wins round two. It's, it's a back and forth. It's not like a one side for half the fight, then the other side. It's got to be a back and forth, back and forth, and that's exactly what it was. Moreno got hit a couple of times. He swung back. Then Figueredo got hit. He fought back, and, of course, Figueredo was hurt. Like you said, he ended up not speaking at the press conference after. He went back to the hospital after that. So it's interesting to see what happens following that. But I, I do want to get your thoughts before we move on to kind of a broader UFC view Figueredo has been doing this a couple of times now. It's where he weighs probably, what, 145, a lot before he cuts weight. And then 
because of this, he goes to the hospital and I'm not going to speculate exactly. That's why he was there, but there's a very, very good chance that he was, he went to the hospital because he cut too much weight and it wasn't healthy for himself. What are your thoughts just kind of on the massive cut of weight? Yeah. Well, he's, he's a guy who's kind of known to carry around a lot of weight. And also you have to keep in mind that three weeks prior to his fight um, two weeks ago, he fought. And so he cut yeah. weight again. And so he cut weight two times in, in a, in a three week span. And, and I, I think he's a guy and he's 32 years old. So he's, he's not, he's in this prime as a fighter, but he's kind of getting up there in age where you kind of start to look at different weight classes and potentially moving up. That's a guy where I feel like as he gets older, he's going to have no choice because he cuts so, so, so much weight that there's only so much you can do before it becomes incredibly detrimental to your health. Um, I think a lot of people speculate that that was the reason why he was in the hospital um, that they late on Friday. And it's, it's definitely going to be a question going forward. Now he's going to have some time off. And I, I don't think if he, I mean, if he fights again in a couple months, I don't think he's going to try and turn around in less than a month like he did. Um, so but, but yeah, he, he is a guy who carries around a lot of weight and, and he's going to he's gonna have to make a decision. But I think 135 is definitely in his future. And it's doable. Like I don't want to say Peter Jan's not a great fighter because he is. And same with Sterling and, and Sanhagen. But they're not like, I don't know, Khabib or like some of these guys that are the top pound for final fighters. So it is doable. I think I, I, I do agree with you. I think that will be coming up probably within, I don't know, two years maybe. Yeah, if he goes, if he goes up to 35, he's... It's even odds. If not, he's the favorite. It'll make him more money too. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And and I know you wanted to go a little broad picture on the UFC, but I kind of just want to talk about the fights that happened a little bit on Saturday. Um, We had Kevin Holland fighting Jacare Souza. Kevin Holland, um, I I beg of you, go watch that knockout. It was literally a a contender for knockout of the year. Kevin Holland knocked out Jacare Souza from his back. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. Um, Oh, the co-main event was Jose Aldo. Um, and why am I spacing on who Jose fought in the co-main event? It was the um, other guy, uh, the other short name. Um, oh, Marlon Vera. Marlon Vera. Oh, oh yeah. He fought Cheeto Vera. He fought Cheeto Vera. Who's a up and comer. It was kind of an interesting, interesting fight for Jose Aldo, but it was a nice team kicking the legs again. Um, bouncing back down the card just a, a little bit. Um, Fant, uh, I can't even speak. Jesus. Rob Fant looked absolutely incredible. Um, so keep an eye on Rob fan. And then the, the main event, um, Steven Thompson, won the UD and, and dominated the whole fight, but went into the fifth round on one leg and kind of had to stand in front of Jeff Neal, Jeff had to steal Neal for a round and survive. And that fifth round was one of the best rounds um, we've seen all year. And so it was an incredible end of the year for the UFC. Um, but yeah, uh, what are, what are your thoughts on 2020 as a whole for the, for the company, Doug? I mean, it's incredible as an understatement. And obviously there's a lot of politics that go into it. So a lot of people have differing opinions. But if you look at just the business side of it, a lot of sports and the sports industry in general really took a hit this year. And rightfully so. It's because they couldn't do as much. While the UFC found a way to put on fights and make everyone safe while doing it. And, you know, some people got COVID like Paul, uh, Paulo Costa, right? I think I'm getting that right. Yeah, he he. Who is the, the main event that got that pulled back? Was that Paulo Costa? Uh, Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns. That's who I meant. Um, yeah. So it, it happened sometime. And then they found a way to figure it out, move to the next guy. And now Gilbert Burns will get healthy and find his way back. So I think the way the UFC did it was very impressive with the Oz Island and, and Vegas and everything that went into it. And 
like I said, just like I said earlier, a lot of people really took a hit during this, but the UFC made the most of it and had, I think, their most profitable year with a lot of their fighters not being part of the, some of the, the main fights as well. Yeah, incredible. Like you said, definitely an understatement. They're the first a major sporting event back since the pandemic hits in March. Um, they have the Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje fight in Jacksonville. That's the first sporting event that comes back. Then from July 11th until this past weekend, um, they put on fights every single weekend with no stoppage, whether they were hit with COVID problems, they had certain fights where they're supposed to have, you know, 10, 15 fights in a night and they only have eight or five or whatever, but you know, they, they rolled with the punches, whatever they had to go to fight Island. They were doing it in the, in the performance center in Vegas. It, it did matter. They kept putting on fights, the atmosphere, even though there were no fans, just watching two guys compete and not having that like outside, influence so that guys aren't hearing the crowd maybe they're they're working on the ground they're hearing booze or whatever you weren't hearing that you were watching two guys or two women go in there and just get to showcase their skills in in the most pure fighting environment um you can have competitively and so bottom line was while it was a bad year for most it most definitely was not a bad year for the ufc and it was a beacon of light for for a lot of uh, shitty times this year and you could hear the the trainers too and, and the yeah, size that was, and that, that was another cool aspect you could of it hear the strikes right you could hear like when somebody got smoked you, they got you could, yeah. you could tell and then you could hear the coaches and what they were yelling to their fighters and so that was another cool element of it and so yeah 2020 sucked but uh not for the ufc it was a beautiful year for them all right gentlemen that was lovely as always let's get into some segments before we do i I'm on a website trying to uh, get my Gary Barda argument ready. And there's a fun facts section. Um, since we're just talking here, do you know where Ryan Day went to college? Iowa or Iowa State. No, he went to New Hampshire. He's from New Hampshire. What? Uh, he played. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> he played quarterback and linebacker for Gary Barda. No, no, that would have been great. <laughs> who played? Who did this? You're not going to get this, but if you do, I'll give you a cookie. Who was his offensive coordinator? He set records at University of New Hampshire. I think some of them still stand as quarterback. Who was his offensive coordinator? Revolutionary guy. Tom From Allen. New Hampshire. Tom Allen's a defensive guy, Doug. You're better than that. It was a joke. Oh, boy. Revolutionary offense in the, in the college game. I don't, I don't think. And he's restarting know. it now. It's terrible radio, but this is fun. Lane Kiffin. No, good guess though. Keys, got to give me a name, and then we're gonna move on. I need a, I need a range. I need, I keep. Uh, this, this team was good for, uh, let's say, ten years ago. An Eight to ten years ago, team that was good. Ten years. Offensive ago. team that was redefined offensive football. Texas. More west. More USC. West. Steve Sarkeesian. More north. Uh, I don't know. Oregon? Chip Kelly? Like what? Chip Kelly. <laughs> wow, Luke got right. was his offensive coordinator at New Hampshire. Jesus. How crazy is that? All right, I'll start segments. Uh, yeah, how does that relate? <laughs> that, I, I, just, I, told, I was looking at this thing about Gary Barta, and it says how related. You- Ryan Day was a record-setting quarterback for Chip Kelly before becoming Ohio State's head coach. So I had to look that up. Um, all right, good week for me. Uh, Kane Womack. Kane Womack got hired by South Alabama. I don't I remember if he got hired the last time we had a show, but 
my good week for him, his, they released his coaching staff today for South Alabama, and he had an absolutely huge hire at offensive coordinator. Major Applewhite is going to be calling plays at South Alabama next year for Kane Womack. Uh, Major was an analyst for Alabama this year, which seems like everybody's been an analyst for Alabama, but before that, he was the coach in waiting at Texas, so the offensive coordinator there, and he was also offensive coordinator and uh, head coach at Houston. Um, so this is a huge, huge hire for King Womack at, at South Alabama. So good week for him, doubly for filling out his staff, and I'm very excited that he's going to finish his coaching career at IU, hopefully with an Outback Bowl victory. Bad week, college football playoff committee. Uh, I, I was – I've. I've hinted at this before, not a lot of names that you would recognize. Um, Ronnie Lott is on, on the committee as well. Scott Strickland, he's the AD for Florida, um, Colorado's AD, Wyoming's AD. There's a professor from Arizona state, not a lot of big names like there has been, but this Gary Barta guy has uh, really made an appearance for himself. Uh, I was athletic director. He, what did he say about IU? He said we enjoyed, said we appreciated, appreciated watching, watching the play. Indiana team play. His fake smile was oh. the worst, watching him just smile through the interviews. What really pissed me off this weekend is Reese Davis did not push him at all about some of these teams that kind of got screwed over. He just kind of glossed over that. So this falls on Reese Davis too. But I don't know if there's ever been a, a more – like people are coming together for their hate of how this committee did. And Gary Barta, whether you like it or not, is in charge of that committee. Uh, and he is the, the, the person that's in front of the nation. So bad week for the playoff committee, terrible week and, for Gary Barta. And, I would be ashamed to be an Iowa Hawkeye this week. And Iowa slips ahead of IU for a bowl game. Right. No, I was behind us. I was behind us. Um, there. Hey. Yeah, we did the, we did the rankings already. The Citrus Bowl ahead is, of them before. The Citrus Bowl is one. Northwestern jumped IU. Yeah. The Citrus Bowl is one. The Outback Bowl is two. Music City is three. So the so the Hoosiers are three. The Hoosiers yeah. are two. Well, Why I guess three that? in the Big Ten though. After Ohio State as well. Yes. Yes. They're third. Or they're yeah. They're third, not fourth. I thought I was always fourth. Yeah, no, I, I could have swore well, it was because Mizzou dropped on right or something. Mizzou, like that. yeah, that's all. Con- I said the only team playing where they should be playing right now is uh, Auburn. Auburn is the only team. You in see the what right you did spot. to us, college football playoff committee? Yeah. Are you kidding me? We can't even keep our brains together. Who wants to go next? I do. Doug, go ahead. Uh, I will stay on the topic of Indiana football for my good week, and there's been a couple for Coach Allen. He was Big Ten Coach of the Year, rightfully so. He is being honored as potentially, I think it's been candidates, a finalist for the Eddie Robinson Award. That's my why I love sports this week. Tough. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which is is great. It's expected. I honestly think there's a good shot he wins it um, with everything that's gone on publicity-wise and then also on the football field as well. So Honored him. Also, I do want to give a shout out to Michael McFadden, who is the honorable mention for all American yes. by PFF, the leader of this defense. I believe he was the PFF defensive player of the week. In fact, I know he was uh, at least, I think one week, I think maybe two weeks. So he's been great. Good for him. He deserves it. Uh, bad week. I will go with all NFL pro bowl voters. One player that got left out of the pro bowl, which honestly doesn't really matter all that much. It's just, 
I, th- I think the, the players get a bonus, so I just kind of feel bad for him, is Roquan Smith, number 58 from the Bears, has had an incredible season. He's been really Homer. a bright spot. You know, well, listen, look, I'll, I, I brought I brought receipts. I brought receipts. He is the second-ranked defender in the NFL, according to Pro Football Reference. He did not make the Pro Bowl. He is fourth in total tackles. He is second in solo tackles and second in tackles for loss. So call me a homer, but those facts don't lie. And I mean, obviously, like I said, it doesn't really matter that he's not in it. It kind of sucks for him because he's missing out on a bonus, I'm sure. But yeah. if he's left out of all pro, that I will be upset about. I know Colts fans were also pissed off. DeForest Buckner was snubbed as well. So yeah, there's it's, it happens every year. It happens every year. Young Way Koo made it, though. He deserved it. <laughs> um, Keys, good week, bad week? Yeah, uh, bad week, being a Jets fan. <laughs> No other words. You don't even have a good week. <laughs> I got no other words. Uh, no, good. Uh, and also, obviously, we can beat to death the college football playoff committee. Yeah. But there are silver linings and everything, which leads me into my good week. Being from the Tampa area, yes, we're playing in the Outback Bowl, but I am an hour and seven minutes from Raymond James Stadium. So like we've said a couple of times already, we will be in the building to watch the Hoosiers play. So that is exciting stuff. And then I guess I can just jump into why I love sports this week. Tomorrow, yeah. and we didn't even mention it, the NBA is back. Um, so oh, by yeah. the time you can potentially listen to this podcast for the first time, um, NBA basketball will be upon us. And so that's super exciting. Also, um, I got been listening to this great podcast. Friend of the program, Brett Margerberger, sent me Whistleblower. Um, it's a podcast that goes into the 2006-2007 NBA referee scandal and all that goes along with that. It's ridiculous. I'm about halfway or three quarters through it, and I can't stop listening to it. So if you like that kind of shit, listen to it. Um, all right, I will go. I had a two-parter for why I love sports this week, and you guys took both of them. So my this team, I cannot remember loving a college football team more than I've loved this team, and I get to see them play in person in a matter of weeks. So I'm ecstatic about that. Uh, and Doug brought up Tom Allen being nominated for Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year. There's a legitimate chance he does win. I'll give you the the, the candidates they got. San Jose's excuse me, San Jose State's guy, Iowa State, Coastal, Colorado, Cincy, Bama, BYU, and Clemson. Um, you got to think it's probably you know Tom Allen, San Jose State's guy, and Coastal probably. I don't really see anyone else Cincy. jumping. Maybe Fickle with with Cincy. Um, yeah. But like, again, that's a, that's a huge name and, and whatever. I don't know. Tom Allen did get the media attention. That's going to help him a lot, but it's uh it, it's been, you know, with all the crap that's gone on with the committee and stuff, it's been nice to see Indiana's coaches and players get their due uh, in the, in the postseason. So that's why I love sports this week. Mine will just be a general basketball is back. Um, I mean, whether it's the NBA, like he's talked about the bulls and the Hawks play Wednesday night, it's going to be a fun, fun season. I don't know how fun, but I think at least the first like 10 games or so for the Bulls and the optimism of the new season upon us will be it will be fun to follow. And I like Patrick Williams, I like Kobe White, and some of these young guys that they have. And Billy Donovan also is the yeah. new head coach. I'm excited um, to see that. Yeah, him, he's, a, he's been great. He was great for the Thunder last year. Uh, also, I do want to give a shout out to IU basketball. We talked about it, but I'm a huge IU basketball, college basketball fan. It's my favorite sport to follow, so I'm excited for that. Also, the IU women's basketball team, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that they are going to be good this year. They lost a couple early ones, one to Tennessee, one to Kentucky, but they are projected to be the top team in the Big Ten, and they have a lot of key pieces. So they're a very fun team to follow, a lot of good spirits around that team, along with talent. 
So I am excited to see where their season lands. Uh, agree uh, with you there. Hope, hopefully you and I will be calling a few of those games later this year for WIUX. Um, one thing I forgot, I'm the golf guy in this podcast and I didn't bring this up. Charlie Woods and Tiger playing together in the PNC tournament this weekend was electric. I, and if you if you have a Twitter or an Instagram or Facebook, you saw enough video of them. You don't need to hear me talk about it. But Charlie Woods is 11 and has a great swing and you know he's got the assets. So uh, hopefully in the next couple of years, a lot of people are saying if the odds are there, bet on Charlie Woods, 2030 Masters champion. We'll see what happens there. Great swing. And also just a couple of minutes ago, LSU and Bo Pelini decided to mutually part ways. So we'll see what the future holds Who for Bo saw Pelini. that one not working out? Yeah, I yeesh, man. Maybe Bo, this podcast. We will see about that. I was, I was, you know, just for one more minute, I was excited to see the uh, – potential of that but obviously didn't work out LSU had one of the worst defenses in the country they got a reset next year they got a lot more problems than the defensive coordinator but that will do it for us today I think almost a two-hour episode gentlemen be sure to tune in next time for another sideline report and be sure to follow us on Twitter at the underscore sideline pod and shout out to Brett Bellamy we didn't even talk about him but he got the Illinois jobs Red Bielaba baby Big Bird's back We'll see you guys next week. I was walking down the street when out the corner of my eye, I saw a pretty little thing approaching me. She said, I've never seen a man.